0: You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation.
1: This is Melanie, and in the future, our clothes will all be coated with titanium dioxide, so it will shed stains and eliminate odor-producing bacteria. So, you just come home... Throw your clothes in a pile, wake up, throw them back on, step out in the sunshine, and they t- fresh and clean. Randy's gonna love it. This is
0: Randy. In the future, nutrition labels will become so large that product names will be lost and people will refer to food items with its nutritional value. Can I get a can of 50 milligram caffeine and zero grams of sugar?
2: Now this is Jesse. In the future. When creating a secret underground base for an elite squad of crack commandos, the United States will not house them within hearing distance of anything that could be subject to a government shutdown. Otherwise, when bipartisanship fails, we'll be giving away the location of our real American heroes.
0: Welcome to the Grolix Podcast. Fact. <laughs> episode number 86. Episode number 86. Right. Fact. Is it? Is it a fact?
1: Wasn't last one 85? Yeah. Then that would or make this one 86? Are it?
0: you sure?
1: No. I don't know. Oh, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh.
2: hey, Hey, listener. What happened in episode 85? We talked. Who did we talk to?
1: Each other. And? (laughs) And Pete Mitchell. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) I like how
0: you bury the lead on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, last episode we talked to Pete Mitchell. This is the second time we've had Pete Mitchell on the show, but like the first time in apparently over two years, which is crazy like. Yeah, blink of an eye. Time flies when you're having fun-ish. If you missed it, listener, you should definitely go back and check that out. It's great. And you don't know who Pete, if you don't know who Pete Mitchell is,
2: you're a fool. (laughs) Get schooled. Get schooled. Yeah. It's a good episode for learning who Pete Mitchell is. Uh, We also have another episode that we interviewed Pete Mitchell in way back in year one or two of the Grawlix podcast.
0: Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty far back. We've been at this for a few years now. Yep. Point is we're all getting old. Yeah. The hosts, the podcast, everything's old. Yeah. Get off our lawn,
2: podcast.
0: You know what's not old? What? Talking to fantastic comic book creators and stuff. Yeah. That's something that's going to happen this episode.
2: Man, I feel like we're actually following through on our New Year's resolutions. It's weird.
0: 2019, the year of interviews. Whoa. (laughs) We're hitting it hard. Yep. Yep. I told you. Yeah, last episode we had Pete Mitchell. This episode, we're featuring an interview. With the co founder of a new comic book publisher, which is pretty exciting.
1: Oh, yeah, it's this guy.
0: Yeah, this guy. <laughs> I recorded a one on one interview with him. It's pretty great. And we're going to play that next. And then after that, yeah, this is a big episode. Uh, we're going to talk about our poll list pick, our poll list book, because it's that uh, time of the month. It's that episode of the month.
1: Yep. It's, it's our cycle has started.
0: Our cycle of the poll list cycle.
1: <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> Melanie. Yes. What's a poll list?
1: A poll list is a list that's also a poll. You make your choices. You vote on it, like in a poll. And then the one that has the highest amount of votes is the winner. And then the winner, we have to read. (laughs) (laughs) I love your wording.
0: (laughs) We have to
2: read. It's true. It's true. You choose for us. We don't
1: choose this. You force this on us. Yeah. Yeah. We we read the winner. and I think we're pretty gracious about it and then we talk about it the next podcast so yep so last time you guys voted and you voted for GI Joe yay um so we read that and that's what we'll talk about this time not just GI Joe Melanie no
0: marvel classic marvel GI Joe as
2: yeah. reprinted by IDW is the version we yes. read but
1: yeah and next time we'll talk about whoever won today which is it is Blood Realm,
2: which we kind of talked about last time. Oh. It came out of nowhere, and it's leading. Uh, Blood Realm is a independent comic. Mm-hmm.
1: It's called Blood Realm. It though, looks so interesting, Abigail-
2: and it, it wins She's with good. 26% of the vote. Closely followed by Outcast by Robert Kirkman, who we've read some Kirkman things before. He's, mm-hmm. he's done a couple things people know. Yeah, some things that couple. people like even.
1: I think that... I like the suggestions that are coming out from our people. Good job, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm proud of you.
2: And it, we've got a lot of DC and uh, Marvel that's still on the list, and it's just edged them out. Like, all the indie stuff is still mm. leading. So,
0: Yeah, Blood Rum yeah. really surprised me because it, it was new, and it just popped up on the list and shot to the top. So,
2: so
1: thanks.
0: We like that kind of trickery. I know there's chicanery. some kind of trickery there's there. There's chicanery we like about lurking. We're all for it. Yep, go for it.
1: Stuff the ballot box.
0: (laughs) If you can get around the uh, very few restrictions on voting, (laughs) fine. I'm fine with it.
1: As long as you're not Russian.
0: As long as you're not Russian. Yeah. No,
3: I'm just kidding. You can be Russian too. (laughs) We don't
0: even care. Here you go. Russians (laughs) like comics too, don't they? I'm sure some Russians like comics. But first, an interview. This is Randy, and I'm here with Z Chun. Zee is a writer, director, television producer, and now comic book publisher. He has directed two feature-length films, 2010's award-winning Children of Invention, as well as the 2013 film Cold Comes the Night, starring Brian Cranston, Alice Eve, and Logan Marshall Green. He has written for several TV series, including ABC's Once Upon a Time and Fox's Gotham, which he is currently also supervising producer of. And finally, he is a co-founder of TKO Studios, a new comic book publishing company which I have lots of questions about. How's it going today, Z?
4: Hey, Randy. It's good. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: So let's start with a bit about your background and get into TKO. Sure. You have experience in film and television, and I think our audience will definitely be interested in hearing about your television work. Could you tell us a bit about that?
4: You know, I was, it's funny, I started off wanting to be a comic book writer and an artist. And at some point in high school, I started getting interested in indie film. So I pursued that for a number of years. I had a feature that I wrote and directed in Sundance and uh, another like Brian Cranston thriller called Cold Comes the Night that Sony released. And then in 2012, I moved out to LA again to pursue television in addition to writing and directing. You know, at that time, I think I had worked very briefly in 2007 in television for a show called Cashmere Mafia, which was kind of like the like a, a networky version of Sex and the City. Mm. You know, at that time, I think, you know, I was trying to decide if I was going to go into TV or film. In 2012, I really committed to going, coming back and doing more television. So I worked on Once Upon a Time, which was uh, a show for ABC that kind of was a mashup of a lot of their characters from their animated movies, which was a really fun show to work on. And for the last three years, I have been a writer-producer on Gotham.
0: Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Personal question, you worked with Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. How is dealing with Brian Cranston? He s- seems like a super cool guy from, you know, from the outside.
4: He's great. He's great. He only had a few a, a few weeks to be with us. You know, we mm-hmm. we kind of worked around his Breaking Bad schedule. We shot Cold Comes the Night, the movie that he was in along with Alice Eve and Logan Marshall Green in upstate New York, and we kind of fit it between I think the second la- to last and the last season of Breaking Bad and it was just it was a really crazy schedule like we got the green light like 6 or 7 weeks before the date where we had to start shooting and you know I spent 2 weeks in LA kind of prepping and then flew out to upstate New York and Brian flew in like the day I think the night before we started shooting so it was this really crazy schedule but You know, we had essentially two days off during that whole shoot, and Brian bought every the entire crew drinks and dinner both nights, which was really, really sweet of him. Yeah. Awesome. So you
0: are a co-founder of a new comic book publishing company, TKO. So I guess first, how did that come about?
4: So I've been working in film and TV for the last you know, fifteen years and There came a point when I was staffing on these TV shows that, you know, I I really loved being in the writer's room. I loved the fact that we were making, you know, 22 episodes of TV every year, which was very, very exciting. You know, there was some new kind of writer's issue or writer's problem to deal with every week and solve. But at the same time, you know, I came up through indie film, and I was kind of used to building stuff on my own. And so I kind of, wanted to get back into building something and trying to build something from scratch. Right by the Once Upon a Time Writer's Room, um, it's about a 15-minute walk away, there's House of Secrets, which is this great local comic book shop in Burbank. And I found myself during lunch breaks kind of wandering around and uh, walking into that store. And it was funny, I had kind of i had always grown up reading comics, and then in college and a little bit afterwards, I started getting... I kind of fell out of it a little bit. And through Once Upon a Time and going to this comic book store, I, was, I started getting back into the community. And there was something about the energy that had changed during the time that I had been away from comics. The energy felt really exciting, both on the creator side and the fan side. There was... Just a certain excitement. I felt that creatively comics had never been better in terms of the amount of great creators out there mm. and the kind of diversity of the types of stories that were being told. And also the fan base was really interesting. You know, I, I grew up going to the Boston Convention Center to go to the Boston Comic Con. And it was just a very different demographic than, you know, recently I went to WonderCon and it was like all these young hip people who were just really excited about comics. And so I started thinking about a way to get back into the comic book space. It was always something that I had wanted to do, and it was something that I felt like I was in the at the point in my career in TV and film that you know, maybe it was time to branch out and to try something new again. And comic books were my first love, so I, that seemed like a natural place to go. So I contacted a friend and mentor of mine, Salvatore Simeone, I've known him for you know 25 years and he comes from the startup world, the software world. He's launched a lot of startups in a variety of different industries. And he has this just incredible, you know, he's like this incredible business mastermind. And you know, I started talking to him about comics and you know, wanting to start a new type of comic book company. And the two of us kind of partnered on that and refined what that comic book company, you know, what we wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And it really came down to we wanted to create the first modern comic book company. And we wanted to do things differently from everybody else. I think from both of our points of view, if we were going to do this, it wasn't worth doing if we were just going to do things the way that everybody else had been doing them. Both of us. Love comic books and we love the art form, and we wanted to try something new. So that's where a lot of the initial kind of components of our business model came out, just through those first few conversations. You know, we obviously do things differently, like we binge release the books. So, you know, all four of our first miniseries are currently available in shops and off of our website, tkopresents.com. And we also you know, we know that people like to read their books in multiple formats. So we have, you know, the six issue set in a box set, trade paperback and digital were all released at the same time. And as a new company, we really stand behind our books, which is why we also provide the first issue to read for free off of our website. And then in addition to that, we are going around Diamond in the direct market and making deals directly with
0: local comic book shops. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was definitely something I wanted to ask about. Okay. So, jumping back for just a second, uh, now you mentioned like you binge release comics. So, is that how
4: pretty much everything
0: you plan on releasing will be like that method?
4: Yeah, I think that, you know, it takes obviously a lot longer to finish a series before releasing it as opposed to releasing it monthly. But it makes sense for our model. You know, we're really trying to broaden out the comic book readership and. I think for a certain type of comic book reader, I mean, there's the diehard fans who don't mind, you know, waiting six months or, I mean, fingers crossed six months for a series to finish out an arc. But there's a certain type of person who, you know, really wants to just sit down and be able to to read through an entire series, you know, to walk into their local comic book shop and say, oh, look, this entire series is, is actually released right now. I can buy it, go home and read it from beginning to end and not have to worry about, you know, when the next issue drops and also, you know, whether that book is going to be available.
0: Well, yeah, and then it makes sense because um, you think about Trade Waiters, you know, a lot of people wait mm-hmm. for an arc to wrap up before they, they'll pick it up. And the problem there is if the s- singles don't sell well enough, you know, the series may not continue on. So, yeah, that's interesting. And now going out going around Diamond. Do you anticipate there's going to be like has,
4: has there been any issues you've you've seen trying to do that? So the reason that we're going around Diamond is you know, we have a great infrastructure to do fulfillment and shipping and to do deals directly with our stores. We also, you know, we wanted to cut out the middleman and because of that we're able to give you know, a fantastic deal to comic book stores. You know, we do 50% off cover price for wholesale dealers and we pay for shipping ourselves. So stores have been responding really well to that deal. The other thing that we wanted to do, and this is part of the reason we're going around diamond is, you know, we really want to put vendors in control. We want to put them in control of what they buy, you know, when they order and when they receive their books. So you know, We launched about six weeks ago now, and some vendors have put in their second or third order just knowing that they can get books in and back on their shelves within a couple of days. So mm. there isn't the feeling that you need to almost over-order in order to not run out. Like You can order the number that you think conservatively you can sell in your store, and if you sell out, you can have those books on your shelves again in a couple of days. The turnaround is really, really fast. And we just wanted to have a, a a different type of relationship with comic book stores, where you know that they feel that they aren't being pressured to overorder, mm-hmm. and that you know if they if they do sell out, that they'll be provided for, and you know we want we want our model to be a little bit more responsive than the three month window and the two month window and the one month window of ordering.
0: Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a lot of comic shops have any issue with that because diamonds distribution model is kind of a frustration for not only comic shops but also readers too
4: you know when we when we started this company one thing that i've kind of gone back to over and over again is you know in every decision that we made we asked ourselves three questions and the first one was you know what is good for creators the second one was what is good for fans and the third one is what's good for comics and that third one was really the thing that drove our decision to go around diamond and go, I mean, it's not even going around diamond. They don't have, you know, there's no, no, there's no way that they could stop us, you know, Mm -hmm. going directly to the stores. It's just, that's the relationship that we wanted with the stores. We wanted to have control of how we fulfilled orders for them and made sure that we had a certain level of quality control. And, you know, it's been, the stores have been, I think, really responsive to it. I mean, the other thing that we want to do is, um, you know, we're very active on social media and we want to kind of hopefully bolster the relationship between fans and stores themselves. So anytime a store posts a photo of our books in their store, we immediately retweet it or repost it, you know, drive people to those stores, let them know who's stalking us. And we hope that as our social media presence and our presence within comics grows, that stores can benefit from that as well.
0: Now, you have some very interesting creators on board. Uh, you have books by uh, very interesting creators. Garth Ennis, Steve Eptingberg, Jeff Jeff Lemire, it looks like you've got something coming up mm-hmm. with him. How did you go about getting, getting some of these creators on board? Because, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – Like, right from the get-go there, you've kind of got a leg up on some other new publishers because you've got some serious talent attached to some of these books. So how did you go about getting some of them on board?
4: You know, we were very targeted in who we approached in this first couple waves of books. Honestly, it was all—these were all people that Sal and I and Sebastian Gerner, who's our editor-in-chief, and Cara McKenney who is kind of our director of like talent relations and creator outreach. These were all people that we were fans of and you know we were very targeted about who we reached out to because you know I think that we we wanted to put out books that we really believed in and work with creators that we were really excited about. In terms of how we got them on board, you know it's it's always hard for a newer publisher, mm-hmm. uh, especially one that's untested, you know, you're essentially <laughs> walking up to someone and saying, hey, spend six months to a year and a half of your life working for a company that, you know, trust us, that exists, but there's nothing to show you right now. But the fact is that I have not met anybody who works in comics who does it for the money, you know, because mm-hmm. there isn't yeah. that money on the publishing side. Everybody does it because they love comics. Uh, everybody loves the art form, everybody wants comics to succeed and have a space in culture, you know, where people are talking about it, people are excited about it and my feeling was that comic book storytelling and the fandom has really evolved over the last 20 years especially and that the business side and the distribution model has not evolved to support that fan base and its creators so Mm -hmm. You know, essentially, we just walked up to people and told them that we were a new comic book company and we wanted to do something new. And to do that, we were going to try everything new. We were going to rebuild the creative engine and the way that books were put together from the ground up. And we were going to rebuild the distribution model from the ground up. And I think that people liked the fact that we were, you know, and maybe it was a ballsy move. And I think that we we. We had the weight behind us to do that. And, you know, for most people, they just wanted, they wanted to see something, somebody try something different in comics. And we were those people.
0: Now, I'm assuming it's kind of like a, they're kind of like creator owned deals. How does that work? And do you have any creators that are, that you would consider exclusive to TKO or is it all just kind of
4: like free agents? So when we created our model, we wanted to combine the, best of both worlds the projects are not creator owned but we build in a lot of the protections that creators would have if they were creator owned and i do believe that our deals our creators will benefit financially much more than any creator owned project they've ever done i don't really think of anybody on tko's roster as exclusive you know my co-founder and I, you know, we crafted all the work agreements and the contracts and this is getting a little nitty gritty, but you know, essentially they're the contracts that I would want if I was sitting across the table for myself. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain type of company that their goal is to lock up a creator, lock up their intellectual property. That's not what we ever wanted to do. And to be honest, like part of the reason that I, Personally on my side wanted to start a comic book company was, you know, I had sold a number of screenplays and pilots to studios and I got paid well for them, but I don't think that those things will ever get produced Mm -hmm. and those projects are locked up. So it was of you know utmost importance to me that if somebody was going to come and work on a project for us that they only felt the benefits of working with A new publisher with a lot of weight behind them and with some new ideas and they didn't feel the constriction that a lot of companies put on their creators.
0: So what are some ways that you're getting books out in front of your intended audience?
4: So, you know, we have a PR person that is doing a big push right now. It's funny. So we had always thought of, so we launched in December and we launched via Twitter most comic book companies, I think, nowadays, they still launch via exclusives with new sites. But we were doing so many things differently that we really wanted to control the messaging and to not filter that through an outside source and to reach our potential fans and readership directly. So we felt that, okay, well, let's put this thread on Twitter at TKO Presents and see what happens. You know, We'll do a soft launch. And at least people will kind of understand who we are. We did like kind of a, a friends and family password for people to enter the site, which we kind of posted at the bottom of that thread. I don't think any of us uh, really understood how quickly things would take off. Within 48 hours, we were contacted by one tenth of the comic book stores in the U.S. asking to stock our books. And the reaction, you know, on social media has been really incredible. I think right now we need to continue that momentum, which is why we brought on a PR company and we are doing, you know, comic book press and mainstream press. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we also know that comic book stores are a big part of how people discover comics, even for someone like me who lives in a you know city center and Amazon is one click away. I still like to discover comics in the comic book store. Mm -hmm. I like picking up the comics. I like talking to the people behind the counter. It's an experience that I don't think is replicated anywhere else. So while we're doing our PR push, we also really want to make sure that comic book stores are included in that conversation. And I think that a lot of people are coming to our books through comic book stores and the support of the people in those stores. You know, again, we, do great deals with comic book stores, 50% off cover price. We pay for shipping. And you know every time that they sell a book, it's not piecemeal because they're selling the entire mini series. So every sale is a big sale for them and there's a big dollar amount that's attached to it. But beyond that, it's been really great just on the creative side, seeing comic book stores post about the books themselves and the content of the books and seeing that people are really responding to the stories that we're telling.
0: Yeah, that's another thing. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I found the variation in the books that you're um, you know, listener, full transparency, you guys had sent a couple of review copies our way or preview copies of mm-hmm. books. And there's a lot of variation in the kinds of stories there. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you go about deciding on which books to move with?
4: Yeah. So we decided very early on that we were not going to, publish any superhero comics. Okay. And I love superhero comics. I think everybody who works at the company loves, you know, those were the comics that they grew up reading. But that that genre is really well served by other comic book companies. There's just so much of it out there. And we really wanted to differentiate ourselves. And also, you know, I think that as a modern comic book company, we just wanted to try to limit, you know, we just want to say that we weren't going to publish those types of books so the way that we went about it was you know we wanted to have a really diverse slate in terms of the genres of stories we were telling Mm -hmm. what we look for is new takes on established genres so like new ways in new characters you haven't seen before entering a genre that you know has a has a fan base so sarah is obviously a war story but I had never seen a comic that was told from the point of view of Russian female snipers. Good hmm. Night Paradise is a mystery story, and it has those kind of genre bones to it, but it's a murder mystery that's set in the homeless population of Venice Beach, California, and has a homeless man at the center of the story as a somewhat unreliable narrator. And so It was just a new take on it, and it was a take that I really responded to. Seven Deadly Sins, it's a western, but you know, those seven main characters who each kind of embody one of the seven deadly sins. You know, those were stories that I don't think I had ever seen in like Gunsmoke or Bonanza mm-hmm. or these shows that I grew up watching. The Fearsome Dr. Fong is um you know Indiana Jones style action adventure, globe trotting adventure. And it's kind of a subversive take on the yellow peril Fu Manchu stories. And what we wanted to do was tell a story where instead of the yellow peril Fu Manchu Villain just being a villain. What if he was an undercover agent who had to pretend to be this Fu Manchu style bad guy to infiltrate the criminal underworld? So so all of them are stories that have these kind of genre bones to them, but at the same time we wanted to look at it through the eyes of you know an inventive new character or an inventive twist on the genre itself and, you know, we also wanted to make sure that if somebody walked into a store and saw all four of our books together, that there would be something for everyone. You know, Fearsome mm-hmm. Dr. Fong is like a really fun, globetrotting, crowd-pleasing adventure. Goodnight Paradise is a really gritty, almost like The Wire-esque examination into gentrification and what happens to people who are left behind by gentrification in the most kind of brutal and beautiful way. So we wanted to have books that were at opposite ends of the spectrum. But, you know, I think the one thing that we really wanted to make sure was that there was a certain, you know, quality to the to the books, you know, both, Mm -hmm. you know, on the creative side, but also, you know, the look and feel of the paper, all of our books are printed oversized, we got one of our favorite graphic designers to do the covers and the box sets. We wanted our books to really be eye-catching and hopefully just have, you know, some people have bought all four of our box sets and some people, you know, there's just a couple of them that really appeal to them. And, you know, we hope that moving forward, it doesn't matter who you are, you can find something you like within our slate.
0: And to touch on what you were saying about the quality, I, now I was just looking at digital copies, but... uh I mean, that was one of the first things that really jumped out at me was, like, the artwork. It's definitely, like, well-produced comics. They look great. I mean, creator names aside, like, that's something that definitely set it apart. Because, you know, we occasionally get emails from different companies. And uh, (laughs) there's a lot of kind of rough art. And when I opened these and took a look, I was like, oh, wow, this is, okay, this is really good.
4: Well, well, no, I mean, one of the things that we looked at, you know, as much as we looked at the business side of things and the distribution side of things and said, okay, structurally, what is the choke point? Why has the comic book readership stagnated, you know? And then we tried to fi- figure out, I think, kind of a common sense solution around those things I want to do that on the creative side. You know, that means a lot to me. Thank, first of all, thank you for saying that. But also, the binge releasing was to reach new readers who maybe wouldn't want to wait six months or seven months to read a full story arc. But also, it allowed us something that I think really benefited the books themselves, which is, you know, I looked at, I looked at the schedule for a monthly comic book, right? And I, I just don't know that, creators do their best work when they're doing 22 24 pages even 20 pages every month you know Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to do essentially a page a day and have it be you know if you're doing a page a day day in day out and have it be your best work you know Mm -hmm. you're kind of in survival mode that entire time you know i've certainly seen on the as a tv writer i mean sometimes it works out but typically if you if you get jammed up and you have like two days to write a script like it's, it's not your best script so you know the thing that uh, binge releasing allowed us to do was we really c- could take the time to produce the books and wait till they were ready to release them so some of our artists took six weeks to do the line art some artists took eight weeks but we just knew that that investment in quality was going to pay off on the back end when people opened up the books and saw like wow it really looks like these artists these colorists, these letterers, these designers, everybody had their the, the amount of time that they needed to create work that they're incredibly proud of.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, this is kind of jumping back a little bit, but just to clarify kind of the, the multiple formats, you release single issues as well, in addition yes. to like trade paperbacks and the digital? Now, how does that work with the kind of the binge release? Do you release all six or eight or whatever, you know, the miniseries is, uh, single issues in one go?
4: Yeah. So the way it works is, in terms of the formats that we released all at the same time, there's the digital copies, obviously, the trade paperbacks, again, like oversized trade paperbacks, they're about an inch, a little bit more taller than regular comics. And then we release six individual issues, and those are contained within a collector's box set oh okay i see yeah so it goes great on people's shelves i mean one of the things i mean to the end of reaching customers who and readers who maybe are interested in comics but don't think of themselves as hardcore combo collectors we found that a lot of people were you know individual issues are really gorgeous i love the way that individual issues look you know those were the those were what i grew up Collecting, but for a certain type of person who's kind of interested in comics but isn't a hardcore comic book collector, we found that they had no idea where to put the individual issues. So if you walk into a comic book store and you're like, "That's your first time going in there," and these individual issues catch your eye, you buy them. Maybe you put them in bag and board, but you don't know where to put them except on your shelves, and then they get lost. So we wanted to create a a collector's case for people who are New to comics, or people who just have that collector mentality, and are hard- hardcore comic book fans, the six issues are shrink wrapped inside of it. You can put it on your shelf. Um, it's got a spine like a book, so it's really easy to, you know, uh, store them. And it's also easy to keep track of where they are. And you know, we, we think they look great on the shelves.
0: Okay. Now you create you you wrote two of these: the Seven Deadly Sins and the Fierce uh, Fearsome Doctor Fong. Yeah. Now you'd mentioned like before uh, the director work and uh, TV work that you were interested in comics. Had you written any comics before?
4: No, this was my actually this was my first time writing a comic book, and Sebastian Gerner, who was our editor in chief, was really helpful in terms of uh, kind of teaching me the format and. You know, coming from screenplay writing, I think that there's some stuff that translates and some stuff that doesn't translate at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing was just, you know, one panel is one action. You know, he was sometimes he'd read one of my scripts and be like, you know, he can't punch that guy in the face, jump through the window, and land on the street in the same panel. And be like, <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was my first. It was my first foray into comics. On a professional level, you know, when I was a kid, I would you know draw comic books and then photocopy them at my dad's work and then sell them to kids at school. But you know, this was a little bit different. It was fun. I really loved it. You know, I had always been a fan of comics as a as a reader, and after making a couple of these, I have a completely newfound respect for the creators uh, who who make comics day in and day out. you know, it feels like I mean, every time a comic book goes to the press, it's a miracle. (laughs) Uh, So many things have to happen. It just made me appreciate comics all the more. So that's been really wonderful.
0: Before we go, so people know where to find I know you mentioned TKO Presents.com. Where should people go other than um, probably their local comic shop to find TKO Comics and, and anything else you think they should be checking out?
4: Sure. So you can find our books on our website. TKO on Amazon. We're gonna be in comixology in maybe a couple of weeks. They just have to approve the files. At your local comic book shop, um, we're already in a lot of stores, but if they're not in your local comic book shop, please have them email sales at tkopresents.com. That's sales at tkopresents.com. On social, we are at TKO Presents across all platforms. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Um, you can find us there. We very often will post process shots and kind of exclusive sneak peeks at books that are coming up. So please give us a follow. And yeah, I hope that everyone enjoys the books, you know, and we have a second wave of books coming out in spring, summer 2019. So in a few months.
0: As for release schedule, will it kind of work like that where there'll be the occasional like waves of new series or new books?
4: Yeah, we'll binge release our books in each wave and we'll do right now the schedule is four books every six months okay. and we'll see, you know, we might, we might expand and where we might release more books on a, on a faster schedule. But, you know, we wanted to make sure that we really spent the time to promote the books that we have and make sure creators know that we are behind these books 100%. So that's how much we are taking on right now.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, definitely seems like you've got some interesting ideas behind TKO and some, some awesome talent attached, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today.
4: Thank you so much. This was really great, and I appreciate you taking the time as well.
0: And before I kick it back to the full Grolix crew, I wanted to once again say thank you to Z Chun, and also, <laughs> thanks for putting up with my my slight uh, Chris Farley nerd out moment of, uh, so so you worked with uh, Brian Cranston. He, he seems cool. Like, Come on. Come on, Randy. Anyway, man, he had a lot of great information. That was a good interview. Now, to a, a couple of Yahoo's talking about GI Joe Comics. We're back. It's weird we don't we don't have these kind of that's that's a new. The interview segment it, as part of like a larger show? Yeah. Yeah. I think we might keep doing it. I want to I want to Get ready. Listener, did
2: Glockers, you like it? That's new. Yeah,
1: they like it. It'll. We can keep doing it if, as long as you guys can ring yourselves in a little bit.
0: <laughs> in that case, it's never happening again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on. You can
1: do it. I have faith in you all.
0: <laughs> it's time for some. Uh, it's time for some GI Joe talk.
1: Yeah. Right. There were there were toys that boys had that were boy Barbies. That's how I thought of them all my life. They were, uh,
0: especially I mean, in the beginning. Uh, yeah. Were. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yep. How can we sell this toy to boys? Uh. It's a soldier.
1: Yeah. Yep. Give it muscles and a and a gun.
2: Muscles and a gun. And then what they, what'd they do? They rebooted it. So is G.I. Joe like the original reboot? Maybe. Because like yeah, what possibly. they did was then they were like, oh, these aren't selling as well anymore because they're like Barbie. So now we're going to make them smaller. We're going to make them completely out of plastic. We're going to give them a different story. We're going to put pit them up against uh, a fictional terrorist group. And Cobra Kai. <laughs> the Cobra Kai. Yeah. speaking of the 80s yeah and yeah so then then we have uh, G.I. Joe a real American hero kind of kind of subtitle to the new G.I. Joe so
0: this was published by Marvel Comics Mm -hmm. the original series ran from 1982 so what we read came out the year we were me and Melanie were born were born from 1982 to 1994 uh, obviously based on Hasbro's toy line and specifically what we read was, was this This was all written by Larry Hama, right? Yeah, Hama. as far as I know, yeah.
3: Hama.
2: He's credited for that early run. So We read uh, issues one through five of that run. Yeah, we read issues one through five, which were collected. You
0: can get it from IDW, like Jesse said. What was the title? Classic G.I. Joe? or I believe
2: it was Classic G.I. Joe, or at least that's what it looks Classic like on the, G.I. Joe. on the cover there.
0: Yeah, Volume 1, which I think collects – I don't know. Collects on like 10 issues or something, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beefy. Well, uh, think we read another the another 100
2: five, issues or 100 pages that we could have read, but – It felt like another 100 issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, each each issue Man, in those early ones were, were a story. So like we essentially read five different story arcs. Yeah, yeah. before
0: really diving into anything like kind of through-line plot lines. They were all five standalone stories that we read. You know, the 80s comics – like you got your bang, you got some bang for your buck. There were pages and words and lots of them.
2: Yep.
1: Lots and lots of Even them. their
2: ads were like and, uh, phone book style, you know, like there was like <laughs> yeah. a ton of ads back then.
1: And ton, lots of redundancy. Oh well, yeah. Lots yeah. of redundancy. Yeah. Oh yeah. The first ASAP as soon as possible. Really? You're going to, you're going to say it right after you say it. Come on. Yeah. They did that several times. <sighs>
0: I guess we should start how we always start, Melanie. Yeah. Had you heard of this before? <laughs> what were your thoughts going in?
1: I'd heard of it, vaguely. Okay. And I thought this is gonna suck. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've never read any of
0: the GI Joe comics. Obviously, I know GI Joe. Yeah. Like it's you know I'm prime age. I the cartoon, it was it was marketed to me as a child quite heavily, along with all the '80s toy properties, mm-hmm. and I was curious going into this. Mm. I I I wouldn't say I was excited. G.I. Joe is not a thing I search out. But I was curious, especially since this is a fairly well-regarded series actually. So, mm. how about how about
2: you, Jesse? I I heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a true statement.
0: You'd never read any of the uh, like classic no, I, I, G.I. Joe stuff. No, I I had.
2: In fact, uh at a certain point, I believe uh they would like package comics I'm trying to remember if it was Walmart that would do it where they would have like a package of just mishmash comics, right? Mm-hmm. And uh you you could get like X-Factor in there or whatever. And it was all like Marvel properties and uh they'd have some like GI Joe Special Missions comics thrown in there. So I I had read some uh GI Joe comics and I I remember liking them and thinking they were pretty well written. So I I had at least dip my toe into the uh, comic universe of G.I. Joe, but it was also very similar to the cartoon series at the point I was reading. Uh, I feel like what we are reading is wave one G.I. Joe, and there's just kind of a handful of characters, which is kind of interesting in a different way. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, I don't think that I've ever started at issue one and uh, read, you know, from the beginning. But yes, I had read a few.
0: So I think in approaching this, I'm kind of excited for this conversation because I don't – oh, and we could talk about the individual stories a little bit that we read. But, you know, we don't – there's not the through line. We read five standalone stories. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to get bogged down in the in the plot details that I'm sure listeners love to hear us do. <laughs> but uh, I'm kind of excited for the larger conversation mm-hmm. about G.I. Joe as a comic book, the whole toy thing, mm-hmm. and Larry Hama. But I'll say – this what we read issues one through five has, if you view it as a problem, it just depends on your point of view. It has some of the problems I might have expected. It's written for kids, right? And I think that's where some of that redundancy, Melanie.
1: But sometimes it doesn't seem like it is. I mean, I guess it depends on uh, okay, okay the time frame too. Maybe it because was, in the eighties, it's okay for them to have somebody shoot somebody in the head. Yeah, but nowadays uh, they would not allow that and a children's, a made for children, you know, thing.
0: Well, and okay. So I think that gets into why something like this is like remembered, you know, mm-hmm. and why Larry Hama got like, he got such a good reputation because he'd be handed these kind of crap properties. Like, you know, nobody wanted to write, you know, Hasbro would go come to Marvel. It's like, Hey, let's work out a deal. We want you to make a comic book on this toys. So You'd, you're marketing this toy for us, basically. You're selling this toy to kids for us. Yeah. Most writers don't want to take that, take pull up that job. They don't want that. But Larry Hama could take those properties and actually turn out something that people are like, oh, this is kind of good, you know?
3: hmm
0: You could tell where it is still written for kids, like mm-hmm. I said, in those redundancy. But I think that's also where you're kind of getting the, well, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's for kids. hmm and I think that's because there's definitely a lot of I don't know he there's detail put into it, right and sometimes you can tell it's like i I don't know Larry I should have done some more research on the guy I don't know his background I don't know if he has any kind of back military background, but there's definitely times when it Wikipedia wasn't a thing, but you could tell like he cracked open an encyclopedia or he talked to a military guy or you know the modern equivalent he you could tell when he was looking up Wikipedia because they'd call out certain pieces of machinery by name mm-hmm. or it's like the Joe's Together together in a group, they'd have no reason to, like, say the full name out loud. Uh-huh. They work with this machinery. They know what it is. Mm-hmm. They, it's just kind of, like, name-dropping military stuff.
2: Well, I, I guess you don't get lost. You don't have to know all this stuff because partly that's part of the problem because, like Mel was saying, yeah, they're redundant uh, on some things. But at the same time, they cover their bases enough that you don't have to know – you don't have to be a military egghead to uh, understand what they're talking about and and to get the feel that they're doing kind of realistic military stuff, even though there are super like hyperbolic military group.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I feel like for me, like the 80s of it and the marketed the written for, for to to be sold to kids is obvious because
1: like the jetpack. The a guy flying de- around in a jetpack with a flamethrower. Heck yeah. That is not feasible. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's I'm not smart, it's like smart 80s even. kids, yeah. uh, We're all gonna love it.
2: Yeah. Man, that is super dangerous. Wow. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just had an epiphany. That <laughs> 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 sounds super awesome, but it's like, there is no way you could pay me enough money to do that. Right. But it sounds super it awesome. It sounds exactly. awesome. Like that's super hardcore. Reading the first
0: issue, I was kinda like Okay, well, this is about what I expected. Yeah, it's not terrible. There's a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little less so in the later issues, but there's a lot of action. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect this to be so like action packed. But I was, you know, not really on board. The next couple of stories, I was kind of on board. I'm like, okay, I, I'm getting it. I, I I see what people latch onto because occasionally there's just some cool stuff. Like there's <laughs> right. You could. I was telling Melanie we were talking about it a little bit yesterday, and I was like. You could tell the characters that I mean there's definitely characters that, they were probably like focus on this guy. I think Larry Hammond liked Snake Eyes. Oh for mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Snake Eyes is awesome. He writes him like there's 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 some horrible clunkiness around the fact that he doesn't talk, but like, he makes Snake Eyes just the baddest mofo. Oh, for yeah. sure. He's,
1: oh, he's he's got a second hidden clip. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I,
2: I wonder, like, was he ever supposed to be as cool as he winds up being? Like, that's was the he thing. just like, I character? think Larry Ham
0: was just like, I think he was like, he had enough mystery and he gave, I think he captured Larry Hamill's imagination enough where he's like, yeah, this guy. I could do something cool with this guy. Right. Whereas opposed to like... You got strong guy and guy with
2: bubblegum. <laughs> Breaker. And, yeah. yeah. I've been busting uh, breakers uh, chops on our uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, why, why is his gimmick bubblegum? I don't understand. Yeah.
0: Blonde guy.
2: <laughs> Blonde guy. And then you yeah.
0: got snake eyes who you can never see his face. Why? I don't know. Well, you can. <laughs> he some, doesn't talk. Some
1: people can, but then they're like, oh God, that face.
0: He's always, yeah. Oh, oh I had no face. idea. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, these, he's, Snake Eyes is cool and he makes him cool. And I'm, okay, I'm going to have to, I'll I'll find it because there's one line that got a like audible reaction from me where I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll have, I'll I'll dig it up. But at a certain point, yeah, I was kind of on board. Mm -hmm. It's still cheesy. And there's still points where it reminds me, it's like, oh, yeah, this is written for, this isn't written for me. This is written for me in 1980, in the 1980s. Yeah. And not even really me, because I was never really into the G.I. Joe military guys. But
1: kids of the
0: eighties. It was for kids of the and I was a kid of the eighties, but you know, I was more like Transformers. Like even then, I liked the sci-fi stuff. I don't care about the military stuff.
2: Yeah. I like the weird gimmicky stuff, you know, like uh, of G.I. Joe, the reason that I would key into it was the weird sci-fi gimmicky stuff, you know, like you have a guy that's like that's his whole thing, is he he talks in rhymes all the time.
3: Huh? Yeah.
2: Yep. And then, uh, you know, like, yeah, that whole jetpack thing. Like this is super, super soldier kind of stuff. And the robot, the giant robot. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That <laughs> was fun. Yeah. Dumb, but That's fun. Like cl-
0: classic. That was dumb. That was one of the ones where it reminds me like, oh yeah, this is like Saturday morning cartoon stuff. Oh yeah. But it reminded me of now these didn't come out when I was a kid. These are older, but I'd go to the library when I was younger and look up like the books that were like the history of Batman and collections of old Batman comics and stuff. Right. And I love the old Batman stuff where they do like the diagram or the side, the, the cutout or the side view of the bat cave with all the different levels. Uh, and yeah. yeah, Here's the, the, his bat tanks and all his equipment and on this level and this yeah. and the robot, the robot one, they didn't really dive into it that deep, but they had the different levels of like yeah. the Joe command, or the GI Joe.
2: What do they call it? Uh, the, was it the what it, hub? The command, command, command center? center.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they had the cut side, side view. And I was like, that appealed to me there. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'd love that as a kid." Well,
2: didn't you, uh, so then you like the cards that came on the back of a GI Joe where you had like uh, their specialty and their secondary skill or whatever.
0: I think I would like that. I don't remember having many GI Joes, but I
2: I would like that.
0: I had
1: a Barbie. You had a Barbie. I did. Well, sure, but I only had one.
2: <laughs> Just one.
1: Yeah, I only had one. Huh. But anyway. But I but I would take it with me to go play with my friends.
2: Oh, okay. That's all right. It was like your Barbie yes. didn't have any friends, but if you took it to play with your friends, then
1: yeah, th- yeah, that's why have I had friends. it in the first place. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's friends were your friends' friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. But um I didn't never want to have stats for it. That's weird. That's, that's a boy <laughs> thing, I think.
2: That that is
0: like a boy thing. And it makes sense that they would do that because it it's like baseball cards and all that. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. Which is about Players with stats and different junk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
1: That reminds me of my neighbor. My neighbor's brother collected garbage pail kid cards. Uh-huh. I think he had baseball cards too, but I never looked at those. I always looked at the, at the garbage pail kid ones. And I'm like, I've never seen any of these dolls. But it's because they weren't real.
2: <laughs> right, right. They, they were kind they of the parody on those... uh, Cabbage Patch Kids on the couch. Cab- yeah, yeah.
1: But I had a Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh yeah, just one, but still. <laughs> There's weird,
2: there's weird phases in toys, uh, which yeah, I mean, th- this kind of relates to to GI Joe, uh, but it's like, uh, yeah, Cabbage Patch Kids. They were so big at one point that it was like, mm-hmm. uh, it crossed gender boundaries, even where it's like, oh no, it's cool, it's cool. I got a, I got a Cabbage Patch Kid. He's got completely uh, camouflage though. He's an army guy. Yeah, my Cabbage Patch Kid
1: yeah. is. Yeah. My sister had a boy Cabbage Patch too. Well, she had two. She had a girl and she had a boy. But the boy was bald, and I was like. I can't even tell if it's a boy or a girl when it's bald because maybe it's just a baby that doesn't have enough hair yet. <laughs> you know. Anyway.
0: If, find you it? D- if you're going to be a boy and have a Cabbage Patch Kid, it's got to be an army man. Oh, for Your sure. Your Cabbage Patch Kid needs to be able to blow another Cabbage Patch Kid's face off with an AK. Yeah, someday that yeah. Cabbage
2: Patch Kid could be a G.I. Joe. Someday. Someday.
0: Okay, I can't find the line, but there was a bit about <laughs> – they were like gathering up the, the defeated Cobra guys – and there was a bit about, like, you know, they're like taking um, stock of like the injured and stuff, and
2: oh yeah, it's at the beginning it, of the uh, robot episode, right?
0: Is it okay? I, I was trying so. to find it in there, and I couldn't find episode,
2: it. Episode, the l- see, I, I know GI Joe is a cartoon, so I mean, like, that's that's so, where so most of episode, my background is. So I was like, these are episodes, yeah, they are. Except these are actually really maybe better than the episodes were.
0: Oh, I would definitely. That's that's. Yeah, that's a good point right there.
1: The one that seemed the realest to me, that the one that and the one that I was like, I don't know that they should have this in a kids book was the um what do you call it?
2: The paramilitary <sighs> group?
1: Yes, yeah. that one. But that might have more to do with the current social climate too than a little bit and some
0: of the stuff that happened since like in between then and now is, you know, like the whole Waco thing and and the current Yeah, you're right. The current political climate militias like no it hits on a militia <laughs> almost in a realistic way but also super over the top where they've got like stealth bombers and and nukes and stuff in montana like i was telling you jesse this has a a quality to it that has something that has something to the writing that elevates it beyond you know what would typically hit a 80s saturday morning cartoon right because if you you look at the general basics most of this you like you got the robot app ep- issue and they're ridiculous. The Cobra Commander's ridiculous, but like there's a little extra in the writing here. Like he goes that little extra to make to make snake eyes super cool or to put that little extra attention into weird details that don't matter. Like the uh, military, like the military equipment and stuff like
2: that. We're going to start this giant robot on fire, but he's so bad. That he can just keep walking while he's on fire.
0: Yeah, like I just feel like there's a little extra something in it that I found it is decent. Okay,
1: the very first page of the Trojan Gambit, like the 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 name, the title page. At the very bottom, it says, "Yes, sir. Half a, a half dozen Cobra troopers thought they had old Snake Eyes disarmed. Shoot, General, he shouldn't be allowed to carry that thing in his boot. It's got to be against the Geneva Convention." That's it. Nah. that's it. Oh yeah, it it's is so literally great. the
2: first page. Yeah. Okay. It's so great. <laughs> Just like
0: that's that's part of what made it so great is you know,
2: you don't even know what it is, but you're like, Oh snap, yeah, what did he have?
1: And the guy doesn't
0: even have to ask, he's like, Oh, he should be allowed to carry that thing, you know, yeah,
1: violating the Geneva <laughs> he, he should be up for war crimes. Is it?
2: just for having yeah. it
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, it's so good. I that that it's that kind of thing that I appreciated here,
2: yeah.
0: That said, there is a lot of like clunkiness uh, even around snake eyes. It does not handle the well. The fact that he doesn't talk very well. There's one panel in the in the in the wind in the snow one with the Eskimo. Oh yeah. With yeah. there's one panel where it's Snake Eyes is like doing something, and the the balloon from one of the other Joes is, "Hey, look what Snake Eyes doing." We get it. <laughs> and then the next panel is him like somebody saying, "Oh, he's grabbing this and this and this," while it's showing us, and it's like, "You don't have to do that, man."
1: But but there was there was the good one. In one of them, I don't remember which one, where she's like, what do you think, Snake Eyes? And then it, it, there's a word bubble coming up from him with parentheses and nothing in between. Uh-huh. And then and then they were like, oh, okay. And like, like yeah, he had not actually true. said anything. That's that true. was
2: fun. <laughs> it's like they couldn't decide if he was mute or not.
1: I'd beef with one of the part. How are you going to find out that there's a parade? And then 10 minutes later, you have a freaking float <laughs> and a baton twirling band of, uh, you know, assassins ready to go in uniform.
0: And how are you just happened to have your secret Cobra command underneath the benches? <laughs> yeah, where, how could they not yeah, hear them?
2: Yeah, yeah. They had some TARDIS technology there, I think, because like, what? <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. little it command was, unit thing where they were at looked way bigger.
0: I found, I was not as, the, I think the tank one was my least favorite. I was not super yeah. fond of the tank one.
2: Right. I agree. I liked it, but not for the right reasons. I just yeah. D- yeah. I just dig that stuff. That's stupid.
0: And it was (laughs) also the stories before that. They're okay. It's like, okay, Joe's the Joe's are awesome. They're the the best team. Was it the paramilitary
2: group where they were like, man, we really have to pretend to suck? Yeah, (laughs) these guys are so bad that we really have to hold back and we're still winning. Although they got caught,
0: they like trip the yeah, they'll do some stupid stuff sometimes. And the par the 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 militia group or w- the militia group or whatever it was yeah. like that was a little weird. The fact that that was in Montana, they had nukes. They're gonna blow up, explode a nuke in Montana. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of crazy. Like the tank one is ridiculous. They got dudes at rocket launchers chasing a tank around. Uh, <laughs> what city was it?
2: Central Park, man.
0: Around yeah, around New York in rush hour traffic. Like, and this is all going down. And so I guess in a way, part of it sparked my imagination because I'm reading it and I'm just like, what if? <laughs>
2: oh, God. Like, what if oh that was God. the country this was? We like, would be i be mean, talking you know, about that in the news forever.
0: Yeah. Also, the whole bit where it's kind of a, a exposition device to get them to be able to describe all the cool stuff in the tank, all the high-tech yeah. stuff. Where, what's her name? Is it O'Hara? Yeah. Yeah, Scarlett. Because, Yeah. Yeah, because she's got red hair, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like her point about you know like it's just a big useful tool. It's, you know, I don't know why you guys get all so excited about this equipment, this large equipment. But at one point, she's just like, "Engines are boring to me," and I'm just like, "Oh god, <laughs> yeah." No, no, like, like she yeah. was
2: she was totally dead on, and then they had to give her some some throwaway line that would kind of invalidate her a little bit. Yeah, engines yeah. are. B-
0: Where can I, where can I, it's kind of funny, but where can I plug in a Pac-Man cartridge?
3: Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Like she plays video games. Like that's a running thing. Apparently.
0: (laughs) It's like, you're still a military person. Come on. But engines are boring to me. I mean.
2: But she, I mean, like uh, the funny thing is the lead in was like the best tanks are camouflaged and you can't see them coming and, and they do the job kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, she's dead on. And then she follows up with engines are boring to me. Yeah, and it's just that it puts such a
0: toe to it. engines are boring to me. Like, it almost puts that toe to my head. I'm like, oh, they were doing so well.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And she is she's the one that trains the Joes too. Like she's a uh-huh. legit uh she's she's legit, but yeah. Th- there's some regrettable dialogue that she's forced to mm-hmm. say. Cause she's a,
0: there's some she's a skirt. There is some regrettable dialogue occasionally.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Most of it's not great. Some of it is great, like the the snake eyes. When it's cool, it's cool. There's some pretty like clunky stuff, though. Yeah, there is. Melanie. Yeah. What's your least favorite part of this?
1: My least favorite part.
0: Because mm. I kind of expected you to hate it, and you didn't. You don't seem like you hated it.
1: I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. That's good. So there you go. It wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't great, but not not even close to as bad as I thought it was going to be. So there's that. My least favorite part. I don't know. The way that the bad guys can magically get there and.
0: Yeah, it did get pretty absurd.
1: And and how did they scan the the freaking robot with like chemical scans and they still couldn't find whatever it was that made that hand start moving? It's just ridiculousness that does, doesn't make sense.
0: And also, if they can't get a radio signal out, mm-hmm. they can't get a radio signal into the robot to activate it.
1: They couldn't. They didn't.
0: It was like on a timer or something. Like, Oh, was it on a timer? Yeah. Okay.
1: But, but if you I don't, don't know it. where
2: the command center is, how would you have any frame of reference for how long that robot needs to be dormant, I guess?
1: Also, if you don't know where the command center is, how did you know to intercept the mail guy from the command center <laughs> to the airport? Right. I'm sorry. Just.
2: And. You're, you're, Your top secret uh, crack commando unit. I mean, like this harkens back to my future prediction, but you're going to put it right under a place where we're going to have like like it's it's so secret, but they can smell the breakfast they're cooking
0: (laughs) (laughs) several stories, several floors down.
2: like, Oh, man, I I swear I could smell breakfast. And, uh, and And then when the robot does fall down like a like an elevator shaft, like several floors below, they're like, what was that? Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like standing over a grate at one point. Like oh my god.
0: Also, it's clearly not shielded that well if even if it was a small spider sized robot, if a robot can climb out of a grate out top. Yeah. Then you're probably not really sealed. Why
2: didn't they just start with the spider sized robots and let it escape? Cobra is dumb. Yeah. (laughs) That is dumb.
1: That is dumb. Very dumb.
2: Like that was their the best strategy, one. really, and they waited to the end.
1: Well, maybe they just wanted to try and take some people out on the way.
2: I guess. <laughs> oh, that's a, that sounds like the hubris of Cobra right there.
0: The robot one and the tank one
1: w- felt definitely the most Saturday
2: morning. My my play. least favorite thing was um where they kept they kept telling us about how good the sound system was, and so like they have no ammo. This is a tank that can literally just drive just run things over and hide under a lake i guess but without ammo their their big uh their big strategy is to make a cannon noise and that's apparently good enough apparently breaker's only skill is not blowing bubbles it's also making realistic tank noises so that you can fool yeah. the bad Which guys is- into thinking they've been fired upon although like a real tank blast would be uh, pretty obvious
1: <laughs> but his bubble gum is strong
2: uh, clearly clearly
1: what i did like though when and this was in the tank episode when they go to give the message to the cobra captain man Cobra commander cobra commander he then he's setting up the little cutouts of the people up on the stage <laughs> like he's gonna do a photo shoot that was my favorite part <laughs> uh, that's so like
2: dr evil awesome
1: yeah he's doing
0: target practice on realistic cutouts of these yeah that yeah that's pretty good uh, yeah I feel like it really could have embraced i mean I guess it is it's pretty cheesy and campy throughout but I really wish it would have embraced the camp a bit more more of the snake eye style cool and less of the like cool because they're military guys like mm-hmm. just make them all bad just make them all awesome like, yeah I don't know
1: can't make them all bad you know what I mean? Bad butts. Yes.
2: Well, even that Eskimo was pretty bad. Oh yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> he might have been one of my that favorite actually, characters, actually. If we're talking about favorite stuff, like I, I kinda dug how they they uh made him just like this free agent that totally totally owned the Joes. <laughs> you know, like
1: like yeah, did. they
2: the Joes didn't prevail was- until they worked with him.
1: Yeah, even Snake
0: Eyes we got Duped. Oh, he was no, yeah. That's what I'm saying. More like that because that guy was awesome. They made him super cool. Mm-hmm. And even the part where I was like questioning it because they even say like he never gives away like he never expose compromises the mission, never gives away the secrets. And as soon as they come across him, he tells him the them the plan. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, wait a second, yeah. what happened to he never gives away? And then yeah. I look at the next panel, and one of the Joes is like, I thought you never gave away the se- <laughs> <laughs> like. I was like, oh yeah, okay. It. they're aware of it yeah, and they address it right there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I like that story. I thought that was pretty good.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. The first, the first two or three were really pretty good. Cause the first one was like a, I don't know, some kind of diplomat or something that gets held hostage. And we, we get a pretty good introduction to every major G.I. Joe and Cobra character. Like the Baroness shows up in that first issue.
1: The horror who has some weird, backwards. I think this this is a secret plan inside of my secret plan thing that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But other than that, yeah, it was okay.
2: (laughs) Well, we, we've got some, uh, we've got some friends of the show that that have opinions, right? We do. Letters page. Letters page.
1: Does it have a, does it have a thing?
2: Hey, if you want to, uh, contact the show, you, uh, you can always send us letters to letters at dot com. Uh, another way to get a hold of us is that you could, you know, record a quick uh, voice clip and also send it to that email address or you can shoot us a voicemail to 559-426-6427 or if it's easier to remember 559-4 comics.
0: Jesse put a call out for input on G.I. Joe specifically, so that's what we're going to start with. Uh, we got an email from friend of the show Ben Krueger, who has been on the show before.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we had him on a Grolix night because I was out there in Waterloo, Iowa. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't talk to him in case you're wondering, Melanie.
1: No, I But knew, you I do didn't... have
2: an action okay. figure of him in your house. I do have an action figure of him in the house. Right here, in fact. Hey, how's it going, tiniest Danny O'Manny? Is
1: that what he looks like? Yeah, kind of. What's, what's wrong with his <laughs> face?
2: Maybe a little less
0: uh, rugged, but...
1: Yeah, there's like crap all over his face or something. Well, he's been
0: around. Is there? <laughs> yeah, man, he's
2: yeah, he's a he's a martial arts guru.
0: He's been around a little bit. Okay. He's gotten got into some fights. looks that, more perhaps like perhaps some reconstructive surgery,
1: burn scars or something. I don't know. He's a warrior. Good job, guys. Then
2: straight straight up legit warriors don't stay pretty forever.
1: Yeah, look at Mickey Rourke.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Ooh. So, Ben writes in the GI Joe comics were amazing growing up. Honestly, even though the comics were mainly there to promote the toys, the stories were pretty legit for a kid my age. I would have to say that the Storm Shadow Snake Eyes Saga, where Storm Shadow defected from Cobra and then was believed to be killed by the Baroness, was some of my favorite stuff ever. I'm not sure if that was Larry Hama or not. Larry Hama, I can't help but say the name that way. But Larry Hama is a super enjoyable writer, and I believe he wrote Nth Man, The Ultimate Ninja... And the wolf pack, both of which are super fun. Bottom line, GI Joe and Larry Hama are amazing.
2: I'm I'm curious about this now. Did he write all those things? Probably. <laughs> We're questioning you, Ben. No. <laughs> why, why why would I? I don't know. I feel like there's no well, reason to uh,
1: the only thing we would really need to question is if he wrote the snake eyes and the shadow man one and other than that we trust you.
2: Makes makes sense that he would have though, because uh He wrote the Storm Shadow spinoff, so clearly, clearly, Snake Eyes was his boy. That's my boy. Oh yeah,
0: I could tell that right away. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't. Okay, so I we could have got more into it, but we didn't get into any of the like ongoing stories. Honestly, I'm fine with that because I can appreciate the again the quality that is there, Mm -hmm. and I can appreciate the nostalgia factor this has for people to have something as a you know a property comic cartoons whatever as a kid. And especially if you, some of it's actually not that bad. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you'll go back and revisit some things that you enjoyed when you were a kid and you're like, wow, this is terrible. Yeah. Which is often the case with 80s cartoon and toy based, which is pretty much all the toys, all the stuff in the 80s was toy based, you know, product. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. And not to diminish that, one thing we didn't get to would you recommend this? And I'm not saying I wouldn't recommend it, but I would not keep reading this. So, yeah. Sorry, Ben. I'm not trying to like stomp on your letter. (laughs) I good letter, Ben. By the way, I would not read this. No, this isn't. It's just not my speed.
1: Me as well. I'm. I did think it was. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. But it's not something that I feel interested in in general.
2: Would I recommend this? uh, Yeah, to anybody that already kind of had a love for the G.I. Joe property in that time. You know, like obviously that that's who this is written for. You know, Mm -hmm. if you grew up with the toys. Those ridiculously expensive,
0: huge air carrier toy sets with
2: oh man, a flag, forty million carrier, yeah,
0: little action figures where the rubber band would break inside of them and they'd fall in half, and
2: yeah. Did you did you guys watch? Uh, was it the toys that made us? Have you seen the GI Joe episode? I have not. Uh uh-uh. It's a pretty good episode, so I mean, like I, I would recommend that. I would not recommend any of the GI Joe movies. <laughs> the The live action ones, anyways. They have movies. I, I would actually recommend the cartoon Ooh, movies uh, before I would recommend those fairly modern ones. Yeah, yeah. That's one of crap. them even had The Rock and uh, Bruce Willis.
1: Well, that right there should tell you if it's got The Rock in it.
2: Yeah, but I mean, uh, like Mr. Diehard. But he's
0: so. But he's so likable. The Rock is not Bruce Willis.
1: Is he? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's charismatic. He's charis. He's charisma in human form. Yeah. Right. He just doesn't pick good movies. I mean, do. like uh, right.
2: they, they decided to go with Will Smith for the genie on Aladdin. I think uh, they missed the boat. Should have been The Rock.
1: He actually might have been okay at doing a, a genie.
2: I mean, but he was in what Moana. He, he played uh, Maui. I think. I think
1: uh, he's practically the genie in that. He's over the top in too many things that don't need that. Mm-hmm. Why would you not put him in something that? Does need it where
0: it's appropriate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will Smith's the genie in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I, I, that doesn't sound good to me. I'm. I don't know why.
0: I'm been well past, well over Will Smith for a long time. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, and part of it, I think, is just the attitude. Yeah. That I feel from the entire Smith clan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And you had a, There was another. You had another comment, Jesse. I didn't. I don't have that comment.
2: I threw it out there on uh Facebook as well. And interestingly enough, we kind of bagged on issue 5, uh thanks for the Memories, but uh we we had uh Kaylin commented on my on my post that uh issue 5 is one of uh one of her favorites.
1: Oh well. Some people like crap. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: listen. It's super campy. I mean, like that's like the, exactly it. The image that I posted uh, for our call, call out was a uh, was that scene with uh, General Flag facing down Cobra Commander, and he's totally hiding behind Girl Scouts. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like this is pretty much the epitome of over the top in this yeah. issue here. In case you forgot, that Cobra Commander is a bad guy. Here you go.
1: So Shredder is just like a ripoff of Cobra Commander.
2: Oh, a little With bit, ship, yeah. With yeah. sifted eye holes. Only, Shredder's way cooler. Uh, yeah. yeah. Shredder's more like more straight up ninja. Whereas yeah. Cobra Commander is kinda like <gasps> Is is he supposed to be almost Russian? Because like his uniform implies that. And and man, the and red scare always... is strong in this stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: that's why what that one issue I was like, it's they were fighting the Cobra guys again and, but they weren't, they were fighting the Russians, but they're so intertwined, it seems to me, that I thought it was I don't know. Do you think maybe the Red Scare
0: died down like for too long, and that's and suddenly they're like, you know what, we need to stoke this up.
2: (laughs) You know what, kids these days need more of McCarthyism.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and that's kind of where that's how this all that's how our current situation started. No, (laughs) it's a a part of a larger plan. Yeah, a a kind of frivolous, pointless plan, but a plan. No, no,
2: No. it's actually Cobra. It's all Cobra.
0: I do appreciate just this, like, nondescript, generic, non specific nation terrorist organization stand in. You know, Wait a it's pretty smart.
1: What if Snake Eyes is Cobra Commander? Snake Eyes, Cobra, come on. And they what both if Snake Eyes wear a is mask? Putin? <laughs> 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 too Maybe. much?
2: Too soon?
0: <laughs> I don't know about too soon. Mm. Maybe too much.
2: Yeah. That's why his, his reaction was like his face. Mm-hmm. It's Putin. All right. So I don't have a lot of in-house news this month. Two kind of reminders. One is that we have Grolix Let's Plays gameplay videos. I've been playing Bendy and the Ink Machine. Randy, you've been playing uh, Dread vs. Death and uh, Stranger Things.
0: Yeah. Somewhat less frequent frequently, but yeah.
2: Right, right. And uh, there may be more to come. In fact, we know we know there's more to come. So, be keeping an eye on our YouTube channel for those things. Also, the Grolak Cinematic Universe Season 2 finale has aired, I'm assuming by this time. Yes. Yeah. Has- oh yeah,
0: it'll be it's been out for a couple weeks now by the time this episode goes up, but it's still sitting there waiting for you. You should go listen. It I say finale.
2: Uh, I look I look forward to it so much that my uh my pitches <laughs> my pitches are like Ready to go.
0: It was a fun episode. It was a fun episode. A bit more truncated from what we did the first season finale, but those will evolve over time. So this one gets to the pitches pretty quick. And then I discovered some very startling, uh, is it revelations? Is that the right word? Yeah. Startling revelations about Jasper, uh, specifically about what movies he's never seen. Yes. I don't know why at this point I'm surprised, but I was. And that's a fun conversation.
2: So go check that out. Uh, If you don't know where to look go to grolixpodcast.com and we have a whole section of the site devoted to uh Grawlix cinematic universe. We do, but I'm burying the lead. The real the real in-house news that we have not announced on the show yet is uh that we are officially joining O Comic-Con. We're all going to be there for the 5th year of O Comic-Con 2019. I can't believe you're right that I can't believe we haven't mentioned that on the show yet. Yeah, yeah, man, we should have led with that. We were the first ones for uh, the podcast pavilion this year, so we're the number one podcast announcement.
0: Yes, we. You're right. Or at least
2: we're first. At least
0: we're the early bird. I was on it. I was you on it. I was. Time. I was pestering them about it before the tickets were even available. So super excited. This will be the first time. Myself, Melanie, Jasper will be there from GCU. Also, uh, this is the first time we've been at a con in an official capacity. Ever, ever. So it's just the first time the podcast will be represented in an official capacity. Although Jesse always, you know, reps the podcast with his table with Exton.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesse.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah, we're all going to be there. It's going to be amazing. We're going to sit there and and look. We're going to sit there and be awkward when you come up to us oh, yeah.
2: in person.
0: Like, you you listen to it on the podcast. You're going to feel the awkward you're now. you
2: <laughs> feel the awkward. <laughs> it's going to radiate off of our table, like some kind of radiation. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly what kind of setup it is and what kind of – God, it's going to be so expensive – what kind of gear I'm going to need. But I do want to have it so that – I want to have microphones set up for us and, like, I've seen other – podcast setups do this and like at least one aux- auxiliary microphone set up so that if you want to come up wander up to the table and talk chat to us on podcast for a while we're gonna be recording podcast segments all throughout the weekend i think i think that'd be fun yeah me too it's gonna to be exciting ideally although i'm probably not gonna i'm probably gonna be exhausted at the end of every day i'd be able to like maybe throw those up quickly somewhere after the fact mm. i know the wi-fi is probably not gonna be very good there but and then later turn it into a proper episode.
2: Yeah, you gotta you gotta afford for the uh, con burnout. Unfortunately,
0: I'm, I'm 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 thinking about this.
1: We <laughs> should bring a we should bring a hammock, and we can each take naps, and like revive ourselves.
0: So come watch Melanie sleep. Have you ever been
4: reading through a stack of comics and thought maybe I should see what the Arkham Asylum game is all about, or been playing Marvel versus Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half
2: the characters were. Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode, we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you
1: know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
2: This is Jesse. What does it accelerate? You. It'll make you run faster, jump higher, and hit harder than any of your enemies. Let's growlix up. This is Randy, and knowing is half the
1: growlix. This is Melanie, and the world ain't gonna growlix itself.
0: Thank you for listening to the Growlix Podcast. The Growlix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vorpal Arrow Studios. For more Grawlix Podcast, visit com. like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or follow us on Twitter at Grawlix Podcast. We're also everywhere, all the time, all at once.
2: Kind of reminders, two reminders. One is that we've been doing yeah. these... That
1: was fun.
2: (laughs) One reminder, I'm going (laughs) to blow you a
1: kiss.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me try that again.